it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Dave Ahern, and we have Andrew Sather with us tonight. Tonight, we're going to do a little something different off our normal beaten path. We're going to interview someone tonight. We have a guest with us tonight who has found success with finding freedom from money. And his name is Justin, and we're just going to go ahead and chat a little bit. So without any further ado, Justin, could you give us a brief synopsis of your life up to this point? Kind of tell us how you got where you are. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, So I'm Justin. I uh, retired at 33, uh, four years ago, almost to the day. I used to work as as an engineer here in Raleigh, North Carolina for about 10 years. Right out of college, started working and, you know, saved my money, invested it, uh, bought a pretty basic house here in, in Raleigh and just uh, did not upgrade the house, uh, didn't upgrade the cars until after I retired. Um, I'm married. Uh, my wife is uh, also retired now. 
Um, she uh, just uh, she she retired in her thirties, and she's just crossed another big milestone birthday. So I'm not going to say how old she is, but <laughs> probably best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she might if she, if she listens to this, but she probably will. She'll probably do something to me. <laughs> uh, so uh, she's 29 again officially. But um, we also have uh, three children, uh, age 10. 12 and five. And, uh, as of a few days from now, they will all three be in school all day. So it's a, a big, big transition period for us to be, uh, have some free time during the, the school week. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much, you know, me in a nutshell. Nice. I'd love to Friday. hear like what your typical day sounds like, because I think for a lot of us who are listening to the podcast, we really see financial freedom as kind of the ultimate goal and that all means different things for different people. You know, what's it, it, it is a lot of work, a lot of discipline and a lot of saving and investing. And so, you know, why should we go through all that and what kind of things can we look forward to if we do finally achieve financial freedom? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the, at, at the big picture level, there's sort of a, 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 a bipolar lifestyle I'm living uh, during the school year, when our kids are in school, um, from roughly September through uh, September through the end of May, early June, about nine months per year, they're in school. And so we're here in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, kind of taking it easy, kind of a slow pace of life, um, lots of relaxation, simple stuff around town. And then the the other part of our lifestyle personality is uh, a big summer trip. So we'll go somewhere big for the summer um, this this year. We went to Europe for nine weeks. Um, in the past, we've gone to Mexico for seven weeks, uh, a road trip across the U.S. and Canada for uh, three weeks, three and a half weeks. We actually did the, that kind of trip twice uh, in the past few years. Um, so, you know, summertime, big trip, school year, more laid back, local stuff around town. Um, on a daily basis, it really varies every single day between um, I, I might have some volunteer stuff at one of their schools, um, other stuff in the community I'm, I have going on, you know, going out for a walk, going out for a hike around here somewhere in a nearby park, walking down to the grocery store, you know, g- getting coffee with, with a friend or somebody new that I've, I've met, hanging out with people on the weekends, having dinner parties over here, having people over here for, you know, pizza and beer kind of stuff. I really enjoy video games, computer games. So uh, Netflix is another pastime of mine. I also enjoy my hammock with a good book. Uh, it really depends. Uh, today we spent several hours at a children's museum in the middle of the, the day on a uh, what's day? Thursday. Okay, it's hard to keep straight. What, what's a weekday? What's a weekend now? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's it really varies a lot. Yesterday we we um, we played tennis for thirty minutes and and uh, walked around the park for a while and just you know had a nice easy relaxing day. Um, it's good weather right now in, in August. So starting to get, you know, more, more outdoor time here in North Carolina. Uh, it's kind of hot during the summer, but very nice August, September, October. Yeah. So basically whatever you want, whenever you feel like it. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's not, I don't have a fixed rigid schedule or anything, but it's just, you know, I, I do have a Google calendar, so I have stuff that I have planned on my calendar, but uh, you know, a, a busy day for me is one or two things on my calendar. Um, most days are zero or one things which is, you know, makes me perfectly happy to not have a lot of structure for the day. That's cool. Um, so let's talk about a little bit how that is possible because, you know, some people might be like, well, do I need to have, do I need to be a billionaire like Warren Buffett to have this kind of a lifestyle? 
Um, you have your blog, rootofgood.com, and you talk about the 4% rule. Um, I've talked about that on my blog as well, but we haven't really covered it much on the podcast. So can you talk a little bit about the 4% rule and how that really empowers you to be able to live this kind of a lifestyle? Yeah, certainly. So yeah, it'd be nice to have a billion or several billion dollars like Warren Buffett and a lot of other um, very, very wealthy people out there. I don't really think it's necessary. Um, you know, for a lot of people, if you have a paid off house plus a million, two million dollars, uh, you can live pretty well on that. And, and just talking about the four percent rule. So the four percent rule, in a nutshell, is uh, you, you take whatever your your investment portfolio is, and you can pull about four percent of that out per year, and live on it. Um, the, the, the rule itself says 30 years, but if you take 4% or a little bit less and you're a little bit flexible with how much you pull out exactly, um, you can live on it indefinitely forever. Um, throw in some Social Security at age 67, even if it's a little bit reduced from what they're promising us right now. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much 4% is what you can pull out um, essentially indefinitely with a, a very small chance of exhausting your investment portfolio. Um, so in, in practical numbers, let's talk numbers now. Uh, this means if you have a $1 million portfolio, you can pull out a, about $40,000 per year. Uh, if you have $2 million, you can pull out $80,000 per year. And, uh, you can also do kind of look at it the reverse way. If you figure out how much you plan on spending in retirement or early retirement, um, take that number and multiply it by 25 times. And you'll come up with the amount of money that you need to save up, you know, your target savings amount to have in your portfolio. So if you want to have, uh, if you want to spend $60,000 per year, that's the kind of lifestyle that you want to afford. Uh, 60,000 times 25 is 1.5 million. I hope I'm, I'm running the math on that. So, uh, so 1.5 million is what you need if you spend 60,000 per year. Um, you can kind of go the other way too. 4% of uh, 1.5 million gets you back to 60,000. So, so you can kind of, um, you know, figure out how much money do you need using that 4% rule or the inverse, the 25 times expenses rule. And, uh, and it's, it's a general rule of thumb, kind of a, a planning rule, a planning tool to use uh, at a big picture level. Um, when you get down to it, it really depends on asset allocation and, and exactly what your investment expenses are. And, you know, you got to consider things like big ticket item expenses, college, house replacement, car replacement in your budget. Um, you got to think about how old are you exactly? Do you have a pension? Do you, are you going to get social security? Um, are you even in the United States? You know, is this applicable? So, uh, lots of, lots of moving parts and variables there, but that 4% rule is a pretty good starting point for planning purposes. Now, is that, uh, like a 4% sell off of the portfolio? Is it 4% in dividends? Is there a mix? Uh, pretty much from any source. And, and so usually people would spend the dividends first. So, you know, right now you're probably getting uh, 2% or so from like a diversified equities portfolio with a little bit of bonds in there, two, two and a half percent. Um, so you might pull two or two and a half percent from your, your dividends and interest. And then you might sell the other one and a half to 2% to, to make up that total 4%. So, so there will be some, that four percent rule does include selling some of the principal, uh, you know, a very small amount. We're talking one or two percent here, not a lot. Uh, but the idea is that over the over the long term, your your principal will grow enough to offset offset those uh, those sales of principal 
And, and, you know, there's a chance that 30, 40 years out, you may end up with less than you started with, or even five or 10 years out, let's be honest. Um, but, but the idea is still that if you're only pulling out 4%, you have a very small chance of exhausting that portfolio down to $0. So basically, because you're keeping most of the portfolio intact, a lot of it's still making gains. And in most years, it's able to at least keep up with, if not outpace how much you're taking out. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the idea. Um, just, you know, if you go back and look at historically, uh, what has the equities market in the United States returned over the past 100, 150 years, um, the numbers are up there, um, probably, I don't know, 9, 10% nominal returns, um, 6 to 7% real returns, uh, probably pretty accurate. Um, so yeah, the idea is if you're getting at least 6% real returns and you're only pulling out 4% per year, um, not only not only are you going to be able to, your portfolio will survive, but you're also going to expect uh, a little bit of growth each year, you know, and that, and that median portfolio result, if we have very average, very median stock market returns for the next 30 years, life is, you know, the, the life is never average. You're always going to have some extremes and that's that, that below median result of, uh, if we have really bad stock market returns for 30 years, that's when you're going to potentially deplete your portfolio or come pretty close to it. It's kind of a worst case scenario, worst case historical scenario. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen in Japan, they had like a 20 year thing that they still haven't recovered from. Um, their kind of valuation bubble back at that time was historical in the sense we've never seen prices that high. So, I mean, yeah. again, it's debatable. Nobody, nobody here has a crystal ball. We don't know what the long-term future of the stock market here in the U.S. looks like. Um, like you said, even, you know, you always want to think about the worst case, but keeping up with the trends of what we've seen over the last hundred years, there's a good chance that you'll at least keep up with that pace. And just to be clear, when Justin's talking about a uh, 6% return, that's adjusted for inflation. So, uh, usually you, you'll see, you know, like 10% average returns. Uh, once inflation kind of eats into it a little bit, then that's where the 6 to 7% comes from. So when you reached this point where you went from working and investing to now, okay, now I'm sitting and really reaping the the fruits of my financial freedom, did you change your portfolio at all? Was it something you'd gradually kind of moved assets around over time. Uh, how did you approach the difference between before and after? Yeah. So I, I pretty much kept the same asset allocation, uh, in the past four years since I retired. Uh, I did make some small tweaks to the asset allocation in the past, uh, eight months, really at the beginning of 2017. Um, just wanted to get a little bit more conservative. I was pretty much 100% equities uh, throughout the end of 2016. Start 2017, I just, you know, kind of that gut instinct seems like the market's kind of at a high valuation right now. Um, I didn't really have a lot. Uh, I had maybe $40,000 in cash, enough to live off of for a year, maybe two years with dividends included, um, but not a ton of uh, fixed income or cash. And I just figured, you know, recessions come every three, five, six, seven, eight years. I mean, they, they happen uh, periodically in, in the economic cycle and we haven't had one for a while. So 
uh, just decided to get a little bit more conservative, uh, shifted over about about 10% of my total investment assets are now in uh, bonds or money market uh, short-term short-term funds. Um, so I've got probably about 150,000 now in between bonds and cash. Um, just, uh, you know, just as a, a, a big wide moat against that next big stock market crash, if it happens, um, this, you know, this kind of cash for us, we're not spending a whole lot of money. Our house is paid off. Uh, we pay very little in taxes. So, you know, this kind of money is enough, uh, plus the dividends coming from the portfolio. Uh, easily to provide for four or five years of living expenses, um, maybe even more if we, you know, if we're trying to conserve and save money and, and not spend a whole lot. But um, so you know, it's it's a nice feeling to to know we can go to sleep, and if the stock market crashes overnight in Asia, we wake up here and you know the Dow is cut in half and the S and P is back at twelve hundred or whatever. Um, yeah, it's going to be you know it's going to be scary for other people. For us, it's going to be well, we still got five years of. of um, relatively stable short-term bonds, cash kind of stuff laying around. Um, you know, check it, check back in with me in five years and let's see how we're doing. But um, most of these economic cycles, they go down, it goes back up, and it's it's usually less than five years. So I'm imagining you laying on your hammock, seeing like an alert on your phone, and then just throwing the phone back down, being like, eh, going back to whatever you're doing. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Yeah, well, actually, my phone sits by the charger all day, so I probably unless I'm in front of the computer, I'm not going to see the, <laughs> not going to see the updates. So I probably find out about it that evening, or if um, you know somebody. Maybe somebody calls me or my wife might check Facebook or Twitter or something and see it and let me know. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, it could, I mean, it really could be like I just totally missed the, that, that day's excitement and then realize after the fact, like, oh, you know, we just lost $800,000 in the stock market. But, um, yeah, you know, it could happen. It's a risk that, that you take and it, it very well. There's a, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of investing here for six more decades. I would not be surprised if something like that happened. Um, in, in the next six decades, it happened. Um, wow, it's probably almost thirty years exactly by the time this goes live. Um, the, um, back in October of uh, 1987, twenty-three uh, percent loss in one day, I believe. Um, recovered for the most part uh, within, I think, a year or two, maybe even less time. So you know, there have been very ugly, bloody days in the market, even in, in recent history. I mean, I was seven at the time, um, 1987, but um, you know. Yeah, there could be blood in the streets, and I might not even know it until after it's done. It's an interesting detail that can maybe be overlooked if you're not paying attention. How you know the stereotype is when you hit 65, there's all these target funds and these asset allocation plans that financial planners will like to do, and they'll shift a lot of people's portfolios into bonds. But you know, if you understand the history of of what the stock market has done historically understand what drives the stock market understand that economies naturally you know contract and expand and that these cycles are just a part of it then i feel like you can have the kind of confidence that justin has to be like you know what i'm still keeping my a lot a big chunk of my portfolio on the market even though i've already hit my goal which which might even unlock greater potential for even higher incomes down the line 
or just a, a much longer time period of where your nest eggs just, you know, where you're able to live off that nest egg. And I think, you know, I, I'm sure some of that has to do with, with your age now, but there's, there's a certain confidence and a certain being able to sleep at night where you're able to turn off all the, the noise and the fuss coming around people who get scared when, when the economy goes down because you have this information base. And I feel like just from talking to you in this short time, you can tell you've internalized how the market works, at least to a basic extent, to know that I'm in it for the long term. Losses might happen, but they're going to be temporary. And this is the best way to, number one, keep my capital intact as long as possible. Number two, even see it grow further even though you've already hit your goal yeah absolutely and that's you know long term i'm really fighting against inflation more so than um, temporary stock market corrections or crashes because i what i don't want to happen is what i've seen happen to you know some some older people elderly people and by the time they're they're 70 or 80 and they've got their uh, treasury or i guess treasury savings bonds they cash in and you know um 800 bucks a month was a lot of income to plan on back in 1987 or 1965 or whatever, you know, when they, when they bought all these things, when they were working and now, you know, in 2017, um, $800 a month or a thousand dollars a month, just, just isn't that much to live on. Um, and, and, but because they did not account for inflation. And so, yeah, I think, you know, inflation's is a, a bigger concern of mine. It's ve- been very tame, very modest in, in um, really all of my, um, all of my adult life, all of my teenage years and everything. So I've never known high inflation in in the United States. I mean, I've seen it um, overseas plenty and historically seen it plenty from, you know, Argentina, Germany, Weimar Republic. I mean, um, tons of examples all around the world of high inflation, but just in the U.S. it's been very tame lately. So I think think nobody really talks about um, living through or investing in a high inflationary environment. I don't really think about it a lot other than just um, equities will probably do okay because – Earnings will, you know, you're going to sell products for more money if they're inflated costs and you're going to end up um, returning that money to the to the stocks at a, at a higher amount of earnings. And so I think stocks are good for long term growth in an inflationary environment. But uh, but yeah, it, being able having that, you know, having the right kind of asset allocation to let you sleep at night is, is critical. Um, even more so, you know, as you go into early retirement or regular retirement because you're much more reliant on your portfolio as a sole means of support. Um, unless you have, you know, unless you're 67, you're getting social security, unless you have a pension or some other kind of, um, you know, some other kind of uh, income stream. So yeah, for me, you know, I, I got a little bit more conservative as I saw the market go up and figured it was a good time to build up a little cash reserve. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So I, I, I really like um, hearing other people's kind of how, how they got into the whole investing thing. Uh, me personally, I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki back when I was, I don't know if I was like still in high school or early college. I just somehow had that book and I read it and I was like, wow. And then later on when I, when I started my job, started my career and started talking to some coworkers about finances. That's when I really kind of picked up the kind of bug about learning about investing, personal finance, financial freedom, 
all those types of things. Uh, how did you get into, I, I know you're a, a member of the fire community. How did you kind of stumble into it if you did? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I started out even, you know, growing up 10, 11, 12 years old. My, my dad watched the nightly business report on uh, PBS, um, you know, every night or he'd videotape it and watch it later. And so I, I saw the, the stock market tickers and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And I can't remember the name of the old guy that I think he's passed away now. But um, there's an old guy on there that would always, you know, read out the news in a kind of a, a droll, boring voice. And so, I, so I, I was familiar with stocks as a concept, but didn't really know what they were. So, I, um, you know, in high school through college, I, I uh, learned more about what, what is a stock? What, you know, what do these things do? It's just a claim on the underlying earnings of a company. Um, you have an index fund. It's a claim on the underlying earnings of dozens or hundreds or thousands of companies. And when you pull it down to those simple units, um, that's that's sort of where I was like, oh, you know, so I can be a, a business owner just by clicking a few buttons and giving a little bit of money. I can buy small units of these businesses. This, this is pretty cool, you know. Um, I'm lazy and this fits me perfectly. And so I, I started out investing very poorly during uh, college, during the dot-com boom and then the bust. Um, made a whole lot and then lost pretty much everything. Um, I invested my scholarship money and, and lost most of it. And so I lost about $10,000, very cheap tuition to the College of Investing um, in hindsight. So I uh, quickly found mutual funds that were diversified, um, learned about risk uh, pretty early on, um, learned about margin investing and the risks of margin investing, um, which I do not do, do not recommend. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, so anyway, that was, that was kind of my comeuppance was the, the dot-com boom and bust. And, uh, and I started working and soon after I started working, that's when I kind of found this whole, um, low cost passive index funds, Vanguard index funds kind of thing, uh, from the fire community and, uh, switched over from a, full cost expensive brokerage firm over to Vanguard and uh, have been chugging along ever since. That's cool. So it kicked you down and you're like, no, it's cool. I'm going to get back up. That's kind of how I am with the golf game, except I haven't improved mine yet. <laughs> yeah. I just, I gave up golf. I sold my clubs. <laughs> well, at least you didn't give up investing. So you have yeah. this really cool article. It's called zero, the millionaire in 10 years. And you kind of tracked your whole journey. And what I really liked about it was, you know, I all the time I'm pounding the table. It seems like every podcast episode about how you don't need to have six figure income. You don't need to, you know, be a doctor or a lawyer in order to make a lot of money in the stock market. I, I always put numbers down, you know, do these hypotheticals of if you just put a little bit every single month, dollar cost average, diversify. So always pounding the table about that. Uh, you've done it. And what I really liked is how you said you've, you've never gone over $100,000 in your income. So can you talk about that a little bit and how even though you didn't have like a crazy high one percenter income, you still were able to become a millionaire in a very short amount of time? Yeah, sure. So just... As background, I started working in 2004, made 48000 fresh out of school uh, as an engineer, a pretty average typical salary as a private engineering consultant. Uh, I kind of worked hard, kind of didn't work too hard. 
uh, bumped up that salary to 69,000 by the time uh, 2013 rolled around. So, you know, I grew my income by about 20,000, $21,000. Um, but you know, I was earning $69,000 as an engineer with 10 years of experience, not, you know, not a particularly outstanding salary, civil engineer. So they're lower than average, but not a particularly outstanding salary. Uh, my wife had a kind of a similar trajectory, ended up making, I think 71,000 at a, at a financial firm here in Raleigh, um, when she quit working, uh, in 2015, 2016. Um, so, you know, we both capped out around $70,000, uh, pretty average normal salaries for people that have 10 years of experience and, and a college degree and, and, you know, in a relatively decent or a decent field of a professional field. Uh, but yeah, not a ton of money. Uh, how do we do it? Uh, basically took advantage of all those tax savings accounts, uh, tax deferred savings accounts at our employer, um, 401ks, health savings account. Um, uh, we set up IRAs for ourselves on the side through Vanguard, uh, kept dumping in the money as much as we could, maxing out those accounts, uh, taking all those sweet tax deductions. Uh, we, we say we paid very little in taxes and we had three kids. So that obviously saves us many thousands of dollars on taxes, but, um, you know, we're working, making gross salaries of a hundred and, you know, a hundred thousand to 140,000, most of our adult careers, combined incomes, I should say, uh, household income. So, you know, pretty good salaries for, for for, for folks out there, but not great. Uh, but but because we contributed so much money to our 401ks, IRAs, I had a 457 for a few years when I worked for the state. Uh, we're just we, you know we're putting in um, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year in these tax deferred accounts. Um, maybe not seventy. I don't know. I have to add it up. But um, don't want to overstate it here. But but you know we're putting in many many tens of thousands of dollars in these tax deferred accounts. Uh, partly because we kept our expenses low, but also we're saving, I think I calculated we saved uh, $22,000 in taxes from making all these tax deferred contributions into our accounts. So just, you know, the, Uncle Sam's giving us a $22,000 paycheck just for doing what the, he wants us to do, say for our retirement. Uh, so that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, per year. Um, you know, well, at peak earnings, you know, we were saving about $22,000. Versus if we just didn't do any kind of tax smart, tax savvy stuff, you know, if we just were just earning the money and, and keeping it all in cash and not doing any kind of IRA 401k stuff. Um, so, you know, a huge benefit, 22000 per year in tax savings, dumping all that right back into our investments. And that keeps that money keeps growing, mostly tax free year after year. Um, so, you know, it's compounded as taxes, saving a ton of money. Um, great stock market from 2009 up through uh, 2013 when I retired, and then the past few years have been pretty good too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, but but you know, great stock market is not not within your control. Saving a significant portion of your paycheck that's within your control. Um, you know, not spending all of your raise or bonus when you get it that is within your control. Making you know making those smart choices in life on on housing, uh, transportation. Those are those choices are within your control. So, you know, you focus on the things you can control and then don't worry too much about timing the market and trying to, you know, wait till it goes down or figure out exactly when it's going to peak or, um, you know, is it high now? Should I just wait to invest until it drops? Um, that's that's kind of a, you know, if you wait to invest, there's a good chance the money's going to disappear somewhere else. Yeah. And I love on your on your article here, you have all the numbers out of 
what your salary was, how much you added to your 401k and what the values were at each year from 2004 to 2014. I want to get into the lifestyle choices in a minute, but I really like how you have the year 2008. You So 2007, your portfolio was worth 371000 And then 2008, you added another 73000 but your portfolio dropped to 304000 So you... <laughs> I mean, yeah. tough, tough, tough to to see at the time. I'm sure adding seventy three thousand and also watching your portfolio drop by that seventy thousand. Uh, did you feel like giving up at that time? When when when? Because I'm assuming you were tracking it then too. Yeah, we were tracking it, um, you know, on a monthly basis. And yeah, you know, I looked at the stock market pretty often just because it's always on the news and uh, you'd see it. But. Um, didn't really ever get worried about it. We both kept our jobs through the recession and my firm was laid off half their, half their staff. So I was expecting to get laid off at some point, but happened to make it through uh, unscathed other than a temporary 6% take that I think for everybody. Uh, but, but, you know, for the most part, we both had jobs. We we're living on one income, had two incomes, no problem. Um, I knew at that point, you know, back in 08, 09, I knew this was a buying opportunity of a lifetime. Um, just, ridiculously stupid cheap investments just unbelievable prices for um every, you know every company in the economy pretty much some went bankrupt most did not most are doing very very well now eight you know seven eight nine years later um and i, and I just did not expect the world to collapse at that point um uh, and it didn't i mean you know there were some obviously very tough financial times and for a lot of people and some people still you know still are, are hurting but um, you know, I, I knew at some point the economy was going to bounce back. Um, companies would return to profitability at some point. It's an economic cycle. We had really good years leading up to 2007 and then it just kind of uh, fell apart. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was interesting watching your, you know, every month and 20, $30,000 disappear. And it was, it's just consistent where it was like every quarter you're down, you're down. I think there was 18 months in a row or at least six, six quarters in a row where we were down quarter after quarter after quarter, we're piling in money. We're, you know, we're, we're putting in 10, $20,000 a quarter and lose, you know, in and out with $20,000 less than we started with. So losing 30, $40,000 uh, over the course of a quarter. And uh, just, you know, it was just ugly, you know, for a long, long time, people at work were just, you know, they, they were, they were selling out, going to all cash convinced that was, you know, the panic was going to happen anytime worried about, you know, they're literally talking about taking money out of the bank, uh, not trusting banks, not trusting FDIC insurance, and so it's it's really hard to um, describe how you know how chaotic it was at the time for some people. I mean, you know, for some people's perceptions of it, I never really felt like it was that bad uh, personally. But you know, again, we were comfortably living on one salary, and we had two salaries, and so we had a wide margin of safety if, if one of us did get let go from employment. So um, yeah, it was just pound money in month after month. I'm sure it helps to have that safety net where you know that you can still live and, you know, if the bank doesn't give you your money, you, you have an emergency fund of some kind. Um, I, I think it, you know, we haven't seen something like that happen in a while. Obviously, almost 10, 11 years. Everybody's talking about when's the, when's the market going to crash next? You know, I think one good idea 
besides that is instead of looking at the portfolio value, try to look at how many shares you're accumulating and understand that the value is temporary while those shares are, are real and those are assets that you're picking up instead of focusing so much on, oh man, I'm, I'm throwing money into the fire and, 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 and kind of shifting that mindset away from that. Yeah, I think I think focusing on that and thinking about the positive of, you know, the next big correction, um, your example of number number of shares, uh, if if prices get cut in half, well, every hundred dollars you're putting into the market, prices get cut in half. Every one hundred dollars you put in there, it's going to buy twice as many shares. So, you know, you're getting everything for half off or you're getting everything you're getting twice as much, uh, twice as many investments as you are today. And, and some stuff got cut by more than half. Uh, some index funds, um, you know, they lost two thirds of the value. Uh, emerging markets, small cap, small cap stuff, international stuff, small cap international, um, losing two uh, two thirds of the value, possibly more. So you're you're actually buying, you know, you're buying at the bottom. You're buying three times as many shares as you are today, sort of at the you know top of the market so far. I don't know how much further it'll go up. Yeah. Good points. So I think a big thing here too is obviously you want to keep expenses down and that helps to really funnel money into the retirement account. You also live in North Carolina, which I made the move almost two years ago. And there's a big difference in the kind of opportunity it gives you to be able to you know, pay off your home early and, and have this lower cost of living where the, you know, the different, the, the difference in price that you're paying on a home can just go straight to retirement account and quickly compound over time in the market. And you, you mentioned some other things like, uh, I think you, you said something about automobiles. Were there other big decisions like that you made that you think really, kind of tilted the, the needle and, and really made a big impact for you. I, th- I think housing and cars is probably the two biggest expenses most people face. And, um, you know, both of those two spending areas, we spent a relatively modest amount on uh, between the house. Uh, we paid, I think, $110,000 for it. A um, little bit of a fixer upper back in 2003, but, you know, $110,000 and we paid it off a couple years ago, but, you know, not too hard to pay off a $110,000 mortgage um, over 10 or 15 years. Um, n- nothing like trying to pay off a half million or a million dollar mortgage if you're living in a high cost of living area or, you know, for this similar house in, in that area. What it probably would be is Silicon Valley, you know, this house we live in would easily be one or two million dollars probably. Um, cars, yeah, we, we actually bought brand new cars um, back during college. And drove those things. Uh, they're Hondas, so they, of course, run forever. Um, drove those for 16 years. Uh, never, never replaced them. Uh, my wife mentioned upgrading it and mentioning, you know, she had the oldest car in the parking lot um, at, at one point. But, but uh, you know, she, they're all still working and, and she's not working. So um, I just kind of reminded her that, yes, you know, you can get a new car. We can afford it. We have cash for it. But uh, it's a trade off between. Do you, you know, are you really going to enjoy that new car versus um, are you going to enjoy not having to go to work every day? Um, so, yeah. And so we, we upgraded, well, upgraded to a minivan this year and actually dropped from two cars to one because, you know, we're not working. So we, we got a, a nicer, you know, a nicer, newer vehicle 
um, but went from two cars to one. So really, it was um, not a lot of a couple thousand dollars out of pocket to upgrade to a to a bigger, nicer car. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we could beat the the car discussion down to death with depreciation and interest rate interest uh, payments and everything like that. So Justin, you're online, you're at rootofgood.com. You know, what, what you got going online, what are you doing these days? And if people are interested in learning more about you, what, where should they go? Yeah, probably the best place to go is uh, the, the blog rootofgood.com. And uh, I have a, a Facebook page and a Twitter page. I update semi-frequently. Uh, there's an email subscription uh, button on the blog as well, and an RSS feed if you, you know, if you use uh, Feedly or one of those services, so you can get updates. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I post. Um, been kind of slow in posting stuff lately. I've just been busy with the, the family and having fun. I'm, I'm hoping to get back to a little bit more regular posting. Um, now that all my kids will be in school and I'll have some more um, unstructured free time to play at the keyboard. Uh, so, you know, what you'll find at the blog is uh, I put out a monthly update on, on my life, my journey, my, my experiences, the fun I'm having, um, what we're spending money on, you know, kind of our, a, a sneak peek into our, our financial picture, um, any kind of money moves, which are uh, portfolio moves, which are pretty infrequent. So that, that part's kind of boring, but um, and, and then there's uh, lots of articles in the archives from Roth IRA conversion ladder, the 4% rule, uh, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, understanding the, the, the subsidy cliff, um, you know, how, how that fits into early retirement. Uh, lots of Social Security, you know, how, how, does that, how does that work for early retirees? You're going to get more than you think you will. So just, just a, a lot of good articles there to help people that are thinking about early retirement or um, you know, that might surprise them that, that there's a lot of assumptions about, um, early retirement or what, you, you know, w- what you're going to sacrifice to get there, that, like social security, what, what you might not get, well, you're actually are going to get it uh, pretty good social security. So, um, yeah, just a good resource. If you want to stop on by and, and say hi, uh, comment on the articles, please. And, uh, yeah, but that's where I'm at on the web, rootofgood.com. Sweet. And I know where you live too. So if I ever run into you at Marbles in Raleigh, I will uh, give you a noogie or something. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. Do you have anything else, Andrew? Nope. All right. Well, that was, that was a lot of fun for me. I got, I got to sit back and listen to you guys chat. That was a lot of fun for me. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to say, Justin, all the things you were talking about were, Right up the same alley of all the things that Andrew and I talk about, you know, as far as the investing, it sounds like you're a value investor at heart. Yeah, I mean, I have a value tilt to my portfolio, but it's really all just it's index funds. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I monitor. I, I really don't monitor the market other than just you know this big picture, um, you know, Benjamin Graham kind of thinking of yeah. man, it's getting really kind of fired up here. Let me just take some profits, but small, you know, small moves, not anything big. 
Right, exactly. But I think the the thing that I really liked about a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, you know, you were talking about being patient and, you know, the mindset and, you know, that's what we, we talk about a lot is, you know, having the mindset, you know, it's not, you, you sound very unemotional when you talk about this stuff. And I, I think that's one of the keys to what you're doing is you're just not freaking out about stuff. You're just, you're being patient and understand, you know, like you said earlier, you, you have a long term mindset and that's really what you're looking at is, you know, the, the horizon as opposed to the, you know, the three feet in front of you. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's what you have to have. That kind of mentality. You know, if you're going to be a, a stock market investor, um, even if it's passive, you know, do not touch. It has to be, yeah, has some perspective and you got to just kind of be hands off and, and not look at it too yep, much. I agree. Yep. I agree. No, that was awesome. I really, I really appreciate you taking a, the time to talk to us. Uh, I learned a lot today. I, I think I know Andrew did too. So it was a lot of fun for us. Good. Good to hear. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Justin tonight. I know that I certainly learned a lot, and I think Andrew did too. And it was very, very entertaining. And he's a smart guy, and he's done a lot of great things. And I really applaud Justin for taking the time to come talk to us today. And I appreciate it. I hope, you know, you guys uh, got some inspiration from what he was doing. You know, this, a lot of the things that he was talking about are a lot of the same ideas that Andrew and I talking about. And it, it is possible. I think that's what I took away from our conversation today. So, Justin, I want to thank you again for talking to us today. And, folks, if you have any questions, look for rootofgood.com. That's where Justin is, and he's got a lot of great resources and a lot of great things that can help you with a lot of different ideas about retirement. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and sign off. You guys have a great week, and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis of safety, and we will talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.